Hi, y'all. Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi The Next Generation, taking them two episodes at a time. Today, we'll be talking about the episodes Careless Whisper and Hot for Teacher, so um, season two, episodes 14 and 15. Before we start, two things. Uh, spoiler alert, there will be full spoilers as we recap each week's episodes. And sailor alert, we will swear, so hide your baby's ears. I'm Tiffany Salter. I'm a professor <laughs> I'm a professor of Asian American and Pacific literature. Uh, and I also teach classes on science fiction and genre fiction and other fun and nerdy things. I'm Jacinta. I'm a assistant professor of English. I study television, film, and pop culture, uh, teach writing, literature, and digital media as well. Uh, I'm Brendan. I am professor of English. I teach composition, African-American literature courses, and gender and sexuality studies courses. I'm Sonic Gabbard. I'm in the Department of Women's and Gender Studies. I teach transnational feminism and global sexuality studies. Uh, and queer theory. We're just going to go right into the summary for Careless Whisper today. Wow. Okay, so we open with a very homoerotic street basketball game. It's skins versus shirts with the most notably topless skinner. We'll get to his hair in a second. Along with the other grade nine boys. The camera zooms in on Marco staring at the guys and Sean catches his glance. He calls him the F word and we are told in this moment that there's going to be a lot of homophobia in this episode. Cut to the next scene and Marco and Ellie are once more hanging out and the non-sexual tension is palpable. They go to class where Dr. Sally, the sexpert, is back. This time she's here to educate the grade nines about sexuality or in her words sexual orientation. As if the writers weren't already telegraphing this to us, this episode is going to be about Marco grappling with his sexuality. Throughout the episode, Marco endures homophobic slurs and harassment from the guys. Spinner even changes his name to Marcy in an attempt to prove them, and possibly to himself, that he's straight. Marco toys with Ellie, asking her on a date, kissing her in front of the guys, and even implies that they hooked up multiple times. Ellie later confronts Marco about his waffling behavior and asks him point blank if he's into girls. In a heartbreaking scene, Marco, through tears, says, I'm trying, but I'm so confused. Ellie feels for him and offers to go with him to an LGBTQ support group for teens. Marco says he's not quite ready for that. And the episode ends with the guys later on continuing to bully Marco. But this time, Ellie is now acting as Marco's beard and tells the guys they should be totally jealous of their hookup. The other storyline is about Kendra and Toby's evolving relationship. Toby is over the top, bordering on creepy controlling of Kendra. He follows her around, pulls a Manny and decorates her locker, and has a schedule for Kendra. Manny tries to intervene, telling him to please learn from her mistakes with Craig and back off a little. But Toby instead overreacts and is hyperdramatic. He thinks Kendra doesn't like him anymore, and when, he, when Kendra asks for a little space, Toby gets very upset. At the end, Kendra reassures him that she loves spending time with him, just not all her time with him. Toby seems to hear this, but we'll see in future episodes how much he follows through with it. I thought the Kendra-Toby storyline was adorable. 
I think partially, I mean, it would have been creepy if someone else, if it had been like JT. I think partly because it's Toby, he's just so sweet that, like, I, I can see what you meant in the recap, but it's like that line and it more just seems like a lack of communication. And I just liked that the show was so very much on Kendra's side and that Kendra gets to be a full character in this episode and her pushback were very clearly with her. There's also an interesting moment where even JT is sort of intervenes and says like, hey, I think you might be overreacting. Maybe there's some place in the middle you could land. And it was one of those moments, um, and I think we can, we have a lot of feelings, I'm sure, about the next episode we're going to talk about where like, We've said before, JT sort of gets all the creep factor here, but then there are these glimmers of the other person he could be. And I thought that came through in that conversation with Toby where he's trying to be a good friend. Toby gives me extreme nice guy vibes. Mm -hmm. And I just can't deal with it sometimes. Like he's like so pouty about Kendra rejecting his over-the-top advances. And I'm like, calm down, man. Dang. She just don't want you kissy-facing outside her classroom window where she gets in trouble in class because you are being ridiculous and booking her life. Like, Kendra has things she's doing. She's on sports teams. She doesn't have time for these shenanigans. And it just, it's its a lot. <laughs> Which is the point. I mean, I think that this is definitely an episode where I felt like the point was the ick factor because we're supposed to learn with the character that this is too much. And mm -hmm. also it being a character who maybe can learn not all of the characters are written to be able to be learners. We've talked before about right. the characters that can learn and the characters that can't learn. Toby seems yeah. teachable. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. I mean, I ended my recap intentionally, but we'll see. Uh, Jacinta, your, your read of him being nice guy is, to me, right on point. I mean, the way that he nags Kendra in the middle of the episode, that was... I felt very uncomfortable and I, I was like, please, Toby, don't do this. So Brendan, I hope, I hope you're right that Toby is going to learn. I, I worry. Uh, and maybe I'm just like projecting past experiences of mid middle school boys doing the nice guy thing. Um, so who knows? Yeah. There's a way in which Toby definitely seems to be intentionally or not leveraging that read of him. And for me, there was a sort of like cluster, like I have to take a deep breath because like it feels very claustrophobic to me, the the sort of mm -hmm. behavior that both sort of like temporally and physically, like there's the scene at the picnic table at lunch after JT sort of like says, I'll leave you alone, um, where he gets up, goes onto the other side of the table, sits next to her, and she keeps scooting away as he's um, discussing mm -hmm. how he is scheduled tutoring for her. And I think that, like, this also shows in that he is ventriloquizing uh, her instead of asking her what she actually feels. Mm -hmm. He keeps interrupting her to tell her how she feels rather than asking. And I thought that she did, like, I really admired like the show in this moment because she does push back and she says you know basically like she doesn't come out and say like 
just ask me, but she does sort of interrupt him when he is trying to say to her at her locker, like, Toby thinks that Kendra doesn't like him. Kendra walks up. I like you. And then T interrupts or Toby interrupts her and says, that is the problem. Or in that she says that that is the problem, but she doesn't like give a follow-up. But I did appreciate that she is, you know, pushing back against him. And I, I do hope that he's teachable, but I do think that also like there's a bit of, um, and then more of an investment in how he feels. And this is, you know, like middle schoolers are trying to figure it out, but like, he wants to be smart and like read her instead of like asking her what she wants. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, to be clear, I wasn't saying he gets a pass because of who he is, but I do think by choosing to have it be a character we generally like, I think that it does some of the work because you can't then write it off as just like it's, if this was JT, we'd be like, Oh, another gross JT. Absolutely. But having it be the character we usually like or the voice of reason makes it more interesting and more realistic because it also points out the thing that Sonnet was saying, that like the creepy, nice guy who is controlling can be the person you like, that you can be the smart one, right? Because in the pairing of JT and Toby, Toby is usually put out as the sort of more rational one. And in this instance, it's sort of like, you can be the creep and you may not realize you're being the creep and you need to listen. Now, whether or not he will, I thought that was, I don't know, like, cause it takes like four times before Kendra at the end finally explicitly says like, Kendra speaks for herself. <laughs> Thanks. I thought that the choice of it being him and even not some of the older boys external to how we feel about them just as a narrative was a good narrative that like you could be, cause some people could watch this and think like, why she's just overreacting. And I think the end at least, really lands on no she's in the right and he fucked up yeah absolutely i mean like it lands i i think that storyline uh storyline lands very clearly and i i wasn't i i hear what you're saying about this being toby's situation matters in the larger context of the show versus this being jt's storyline or something like that but i i, I do think that like in my point about like whether he's intentionally or unintentionally doing the sort of nice guy thing. Mm. I'm not saying that we should read him as like he gets a pass. I'm I'm saying that like, I think that like to him and his sort of like rationale for, mm. for everything is like, I'm being such a nice guy. And, and because of that, like, I'm not like, he's not recognizing what his behavior is doing and, and beyond like just being quote unquote clingy because it's a different kind of clinginess than like Manny a couple of episodes ago. I think also one of the things that Toby has a history of doing is fetishizing the woman that he's in love with or the girl that he's in love with. Like he very much objectifies those people because like Toby's courtship would have worked with Manny because that's the type of courtship Manny wants. Like Manny wants someone 110% invested in her. Now we can talk (laughs) about codependency and those sort of issues that could come up, but Toby obviously is not, it's not just that he, he thinks this is what nice guys do, but he also is not really thinking about his partner as a person that has her own standalone wants and desires that are different than his. When he's talking about English tutoring and she's like, yeah, but that's hockey practice. And he's like, oh, he's basically like, 
oh babe, but English is more important. Your marks are low. And it's like, do you know your girlfriend? Like she's a jock, that's her thing. She's not you. She doesn't care about her low English grades. She wants to go to hockey practice. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing that was kind of, and he did that with Emma too. Like he, he was Emma blind, Emma personality blind for a while too. So he kind of does this, he, he creates his own fantasies like Manny. That's why the two of them would be amazing and awful together. I don't. It's interesting because at the same time, his type is achievers, right? He's attracted to achievers, but he doesn't want to listen. I mean, he hasn't learned or doesn't want to and or both to listen to what they actually achieve at. He likes other people who are smart in a very demonstrable way, but he doesn't want to have, he hasn't learned the part where you actually listen. Like the reason that Kendra and Emma are achievers in what they do is because they're very confident with what they do, which is not to say Manny isn't confident, but Manny likes this idea of being swept up. Neither Emma or Kendra like this sort of like, you do everything approach. Well, right. And speaking of Manny and Toby, uh, I did really appreciate Manny's warning to Toby when Toby was decorating Kendra's locker that she would, that Manny basically warns that she would read that as smothering. Um, And I'm like, but she says it with such confidence as, and it's seemingly no sort of like irony or self-reflection. Yes. Manny in these episodes is very much trying to pull her friends back from the ledge that she has already tiptoed over and they, they do not listen to her in any capacity, but she tries. Like, do as I say, not as I did. Well, should we talk about the other storyline? So a bigger things, Marco really showed up as a character a couple episodes ago in the drama between Hazel and not drama between, but like, He's sort of choosing between Hazel and Ellie. And that episode that we talked about a couple episodes ago ends with him choosing Ellie. And it's her sort of victory. She's the cool alternative girl. But suddenly in this episode, he's like part of the group of friends with Spinner and Jimmy. And they're, it's this like narrative thing that the show does where like they want us to retroactively write someone into a group of friends. So officially, the first time we see Marco is at at that dance where they have the dance contest Mm -hmm. because Marco wins, Mm -hmm. but we don't know him yet. He's just mentioned and we see him. But yeah, we haven't had a lot of time seeing him hanging out with them so far um, because he's only really been in a Wasn't he in the episode Drive where all of the guys hang out and get into like get into trouble because craig takes out joey's car yeah he's, a, he's yeah in, so he's he yeah squad. so he's hanging out with jimmy and spinner and craig and Sh- is sean there too i don't remember but like he's in that episode yeah i mean no the more complicated part of this i think is actually what they decide to do with sean oh in God. this situation because if if we remember that sean and jimmy have had this rivalry and that ended in the season one explosion. Uh, I guess they're over it. I don't know. <laughs> well, and the other, so I guess what my broader question is, I guess you're right. I just kind of forgot about Marco because he just sort of <laughs> appears at certain times. But in the, like in this episode, 
it, it's written as if we're supposed to believe that he's a third wheel or a third, like, like it's a triad of Spinner, Jimmy, Marco. There's at least a couple different times where they're like leaving and they're like, we're going to, you coming with us? But they're such shitheads to him that it doesn't make sense. And the way the episode starts is this like basketball game where he's maybe looking at Sean and then that's just like a flip switch is flipped. And then the whole episode, they're calling him gay. I guess partly this is a Degrassi time compression thing where they're like, we want to bring up an issue. So we didn't seed it earlier. So we have to seed it and it has to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best thing about this episode in terms of that is that it doesn't end with the reveal to everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. I do think we are supposed to assume maybe that this ha- is ongoing, like, uh, because when they start, like, making fun of him and stuff, it's not like anybody's surprised or, like, this is a brand new occurrence, right? It seems like, at least in some capacity, we're supposed to believe that this has been already yeah. happening. The other thing, too, is I think that this show, again, it doesn't, we can, we've talked about how it doesn't do this very well, but Marco and Ellie, both of their roles in these friend groups seem to be as tastemakers or like hip, like the cool kids. You know, Marco calls Ellie hipper than hip. And I think the other kids, especially with Jimmy, the way, have we gotten to Jimmy and Jimmy looking at Ellie yet? I feel like that happened at some point. But the, the others do look at those two in particular as, as the hip ones. So I don't know. I think it makes sense both that Jimmy and Spinner would le- like to bring Marco into their friend group because he is a cool guy. And you can tell just in terms of the way that they style Marco, he is the most edgy dresser for the guys. Uh, and he, again, with the winning the dance battle, like Marco clearly has his, his finger on the pulse of the culture. So it makes sense that they want Marco in their group because he adds a little bit of clout and it also makes sense to me that Marco wants to be part of their group because they are still the cool guys, like the schools, like BMOX, right? Big men, big men on campus. So to me, all of it makes sense, but I agree that it, it was very compressed or maybe it was happening during uh, Spike and Snake's wedding, right? I think that's one of those things like this, you know, it's one of the things where it's like, oh, this is an episode about racism. So, everybody's going to be talking about race right now. And like, I think like, obviously they did not just start talking about race for the purpose of this episode, but we're just seeing it in this episode or in this asexuality. Yeah. There is a difference because we've had the F word in earlier episodes and it was never interrogated by the show. Cause Mm -hmm. in the episode where JT is sewing, it's Mm -hmm. thrown around Sean is also the locus of the homophobia, but that is never taught. We're never, it was odd to me that we were never taught anything about, I mean, that episode taught us something about your talents and whatever, mm-hmm. but that was the racism episode. And the racism storyline is like explicit. That storyline was not explicit, right? Yeah. I guess we could imagine that maybe they were trying to, foreshadow or something set up some sort of context 
forwards go or at least acknowledge that middle school boys are very insecure about their sexuality and will do will engage in toxic masculinity to disprove it right? right like disprove any rumors of same gender attraction i mean by and large we have seen the girls handle this much better both in terms of the episode with ashley's dad earlier in the series and now with Marco, right? Um, definitely getting like full tilt support. Right. And Paige's gay brother, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Who's made we're we're just gonna mention yep. him anytime we have a gay character. <laughs> hey, um, remember Paige, we've talked Paige's about this before, brother. y'all. Um yeah, and I mean to the point of support like at first Ellie sort of rebuffs Ashley's question of whether or not he could possibly be gay. But then when they're upstairs um, at Ashley's place, when ostensibly they should be working on their media immersion project, uh, which is film analysis, by the way, <laughs> of, I guess, a documentary. <laughs> I have no. What is he's that like, make, He's what like, make sure class? to pay attention to what the voiceover. Um, <laughs> and like what the music is doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ellie asks him if he's attracted to her and he says, you're beautiful. But she's like, yeah, but am I hot? Like, are you attracted to me? And so, like, I have, I guess, complicated feelings about, like, her sort of, like, acting as his beard at the very end of the episode. But I did appreciate that, like, when she asks if he wants to go to the, you know, the LGBTQ youth group, I don't think that that's what she called it. But, um... Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm not ready for it. She's like, okay, well, I'm th- I'm here for you when you are ready for it. But, like, we can't pretend forever, basically. Yeah. Can we talk for a minute here about Marco's not at all sneaky behavior oh God, in the school? Yeah. And including writing down this website from Dr. Sally, Dr. Sally after her visit very suspiciously. And then going to the media immersion classroom to look at this website and then being very bad at closing the window <laughs> when Spinner was coming up. It was just like a series of terrible like choices here. <laughs> and I was like, Marco, you got like marginally sneakier, friend, please. So speaking of Dr. Sally, uh, who we've had before, I mean, I really like Dr. Sally generally. I think her conversation with Ellie is really interesting. But she says this thing where she says, because so they have this like Degrassi style quote unquote conversation, which is like a minute and a half where everyone says a different viewpoint really fast about queer, about gayness. And someone brings up gayness. That would be Terry. 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 Which is so confusing. But then Dr. Sally says, which is the greater sin, being yourself or pretending to be someone you're not? And I just, I couldn't understand what the point of that was because it, because it comes from her, the show treats her as this expert. So the greater sin, what is the greater sin, being yourself or pretending to be someone you're not? That seems to put a lot of pressure on the person. Right and not on the external situation and suggest that it's more of a sin to lie, which if that sets up the rest of the, I, and then the thing with Ellie is very sweet, but it does. It's like this. 
I don't know. There's a lot of narratives, even now, thinking about like Love, Simon or uh, the Netflix movie, um, Alex Strangelove, which are both films in the last couple of years where you have a gay guy or character who's a guy who's coming to understand his queerness and the woman who's in love with him, who part of the narrative is about the burden she carries and having to deal with it. And like, that's fine. But it also, yeah. I don't know. I've yeah, it, I, I agree with you. That. And I, I was, I think you and I, Brendan had talked about this at one point about Love, Simon in particular and how I, I did not like that movie. Oh, I had watched it with uh, our friend Tanim, uh, and we, we, she and I had talked about it afterward. But yeah, I mean, like that's what I agree with you. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how. I, like, I have complicated feelings also about like her sort of agreeing to be his beard. But I, I did appreciate that. Like, there is an implicit encouragement in him, like coming out when he is ready and her being there to support him. And that for me, mm-hmm. I very much appreciated the the rest of it. Of course, like it's complicated. I mean, I think there's a few ways like we could imagine this going. Um, if it was a different character than Ellie and how they might right. respond to this. Right. Um, but she, you know, it's just been a couple episodes when he like they decided that they liked each other right um and then we're sort of in this place now where it hasn't really progressed in past that and she's perplexed by what's going on he's also perplexed by other things and so there's kind of figuring it all out together which i think is interesting yeah i wonder how collaborative it would have been if he ended up with hazel and and how that would work with everything. But also this show doesn't like to give Hazel a lot of depth. So unfortunately, I don't think they would ha- handle it very well. But I appreciate what you're saying, Brendan, about it still being heterocentric, right? Like the episode is still very much about how the Hets feel about the queers, right? Like, and a little, and some about Marco. But I do think it's interesting because Ellie also is... It's not just that she handles it well, but she also handles it in a very human way. Like she feels, com- she feels mm-hmm. conflicted about it. She feels she and she articulates that, and she also is able to to call Marco out that this does have uh, deleterious effects on her well being. Right? Like she's in, she's not just that she's insecure. She, you can see her in pain throughout the episode because of the mixed signals Marco's sending her, and she finally calls him out. It was a weird empowerment moment too for Ellie, and I don't know if it was at the expense to Marco per se, but it, but it was sort of like the both of them arriving to a different sense of agency, right? I mean, it, Ellie does get to have desire, which I think is interesting, and I appreciate that. And this follows on the last episode. There is a sort of unspoken but spoken sort of suggestion that she sexually desires Marco on some level. She might not have that language for it. She desires something more than friends. And he's performing that to other people, but she wants it really. And I like that for her. I think it's just complicated for me by the fact that, yeah, it does sort of become a primer on how you, the straight person, deals with this queer person who's catapulted into your life. Mm -hmm. And I think partially because Marco isn't given an object of desire. We're not to believe that he actually desires Sean. He just, 
like the way that shot happens at the beginning, it's more like, ooh, torso. I'm attracted to torso. Right? Like, <laughs> right? like the episode could have been very different, right? The episode could have been like, he realizes he has a crush on Sean and that's awful. And it could have been an episode about his desire for Sean, but it's more an episode about his desire for something. His de- really about his desire to be fit in with the guys and her mm-hmm. desire for him, which is, I mean, very real. And I like, as much as I get frustrated with the storyline, I don't think it should be at the expense of the fact that we don't want women's pleasure to be absent. And I like that Ellie is this character that gets to have this conversation. It's too bad it's mm-hmm. not a Hazel or even Manny, although Manny is like not quite, she has a sort of romantic version and Ali seems much more practical, but also romantic in a different way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could also do like the TV context thing real brief. So this episode aired at the beginning of 2003. Um, and if we remember uh, adolescent sexuality on television around 2003, there's not really much um, in the way of LGBT around that time. Um, there's, uh, like, uh, you've got Willow on Buffy, um, you've got, uh, Bianca on All My Children, you briefly got Jesse and Katie on Once and Again, um, but this is still a couple years before a lot of other stuff Mm -hmm. happens, right? A couple years before the OC and One Tree Hill have their storylines, a couple years before South and Nowhere is on the end, um, so it's it's a really I think interesting time when this is happening too in terms of what they decide to do with Marco and also not having it be like um, presumably at least not be like a one off thing mm-hmm. um, which a lot of shows are notorious. Yeah, for the way. I mean, and you only yeah. have queer as folk having an, a gay male centered cast, but that's only on Showtime and probably I don't know a Showtime in Canada. Oh, I, I sorry, <laughs> sorry, Canadian listeners. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure that or the British version was. I was gonna say, I'm sure they have at least one iteration of Queer as Folk. Cable doesn't stop at the border. Should we wrap up and and move on to the next episode or any? Hold on, can we also talk about El- oh, Ellie and Ashley's I have lots hair of feelings about episode? hair. Yeah, <laughs> because both of them. <laughs> I don't, first of all, Ashley's got to step back from everything <laughs> that is happening with her hair. But also, <laughs> it's just so distinct that the changes that they're going so this, with So I'm going to go ahead and sneak peek my favorite thing, and I'll just actually say it. Um, Ellie's hair is my favorite thing from this episode because precisely because I can't tell whether I love it or I hate it, which is usually how I make my sartorial choices. <laughs> like, do these colors really clash or really go together? That's my ideal color theory. But like uh, for her hair, like it's it's so it's crimped in sections. It's asymmetrical. There's like a full like sweatband headband sort of situation going on. It is everywhere and it means nothing. And 
Oh my God. And her clip-ins, her synthetic hair again. I just. Well, and not to jump ahead, but we're going to, I know we're going to move to the next episode in a second, but she has a different wig in the second episode, like a completely different wig. Like when when she, when she has her brief moment in episode 15, I was like, oh, this is a completely different wig because it has almost none of those like pieces. It's much simpler. It also has mangs. I know. You're giving me like that moment in Sandra Bullock's career where she had bangs. And I was just like, what? But yeah, and then also I wrote down Ashley's red hair because Ashley clearly like, I appreciate that Ashley's hair is very much the way hair progresses when you are a teenager where you're like, now I'm dying it red. (laughs) <laughs> and then you're like, no, I'm putting purple things in it. I also want to know, because we talked about this a little bit before um, with the teachers, right? Um, I think at least from the teacher perspective at that school, you know, the message that they are trying to impart to the students is that actually being racist and homophobic is not good. Um, and we get that a little bit from Snake yeah. in this episode um, when he shuts or attempts to shut Spinner down for being homophobic in his comments, right? Um, and tells him that uh, intolerance comes from ignorance and so right. on and so forth. And also, it is important to note that Jimmy does chastise Spinner multiple times about the various homophobic things he's saying to Marco. He doesn't call Sean out, though, for using the F word, which is strange. Yeah, well... Sean is his own weird... He and Spinner, he, he might just not feel as comfortable saying that. Because, I mean, as we've talked about before, like, they operate in the same circle, but I still think that there's this uneasy um, tension between the two of them that is unexplored maybe at, at this moment in particular. But he definitely has a, a strong, solid relationship with Spinner. So... Which is also a good, I think these are, that's another good, maybe that's a good lead yeah. into our next episode. Yeah. Because that's all about their friendship. Okay, so then we move into um, 2.15, Hot for Teacher. Okay, I'm just going to be real brief about this. The A-plot is that JT, in the opening scene, they're in the science class with, okay, I wrote it down, uh, Miss Hatsalaka. So we've seen her before a long time ago, and the, the boys were talking about her a, a long time ago. So JT is obviously looking at her and as she walks by, he like very pointedly like leans over to, to look at her behind and gets in trouble um, trying to being the class clown. So he gets on Guinea pig duty and has to uh, help her out with the Guinea pigs before and after school for a week. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations throughout the week with him and others of the boys. And at first, he's really playing up kind of like the time that they're spending together. Sean asks how his time with Miss Hot Sauce is and JT replies hot and saucy. So one of the yeah, it's, it's great. And by great, I mean, like awful. I, it was a sarcastic. It's great. Uh, one of the guinea pigs is pregnant. He offers to do research. Um, at one point, Miss H walks out of the room with Mr. Armstrong. Miss Hatsalakos uh, walks out of the room with Mr. Armstrong. And JT puts balloons under his shirt because they're doing a science experiment with balloons and basically pushes Toby's uh, face into uh, his balloon bosom. She walks back in and uh, he looks abashed for like maybe the first time ever. So he apologized 
apologizes and when she says thank you he gets angry that she doesn't like respond more and she says you're funny but you're also intelligent and you're wasting it by being the class clown so he's going to transfer out of her class and but he's walking by the class uh, and sees that the pregnant guinea pig is out of the cage runs to get the teacher and then they spend time together and have a a moment where he actually really apologizes and they talk about like you know that like being a science teacher is really important to her and that what he said really hurt uh really hurt her so the b plot is that like spinner smells bad and uh basically asked jimmy what- <laughs> <laughs> puberty uh and puberty. ellie as we talked about like basically says rule number one of puberty shower every day so he asks uh jimmy if he smells and they decide through this process that they need to have an honesty pact um and there's a moment in class where ashley's reading a poem and Jimmy says like gives feedback and which sounded harsh. Oh my God. But Ashley actually thanks him later um, and says that the feedback was helpful for her. Um, And Spinner says, honestly, I don't want you and Ash to get back together. So then they get into like later get into this fight where they're basically insulting each other by telling them the truth. And, uh, and then I guess they make up (laughs) uh, by deciding that they're going to not, do the honesty pact anymore they make up by not telling miss kwan that yep, she has ink exactly. all over her face yep. and so this is what frustrated me about this episode we all agree jt is a creep i do think that the storyline with Ms. hazalakos is interesting because it allows us to see who jt could be if he acted like an adult and not a creep and the ultimate upshot of that seems to be this sort of message to the viewer of like this woman is conventionally attractive but this is what she wants to do and she should be valued for her gifts and like her chosen profession and then all of that to me felt entirely undercut by the final scene being the other female teacher we see all the time in a very silly situation and the boys laugh about it together and so I was just I don't know it really pissed me off that like their coming back together was now we're going to laugh at Miss Kwan because she has ink all over her face. And this was a complicated episode for me because I think it was again an episode where, as uh, we talked about the White Wedding episode, the camera does this thing where it's with the characters, in this case, JT, we see Miss Hazelakis' legs. But as the episode goes on, that goes away. But at the end, we're supposed to laugh at Miss Kwan with the boys. I don't know. It just, it was inconsistent for me. Yes, I I agree. I will say the one thing that it reminded me of at the very end was the complicated history that those two boys in particular have with Miss Kwan. Because if we remember from season one, there's the the moment where she is away from school, like, because, like, all of, I can't remember, they ache her house, and then they find out that her husband is really sick. And so... I hear mm-hmm. what you're saying, and, and and I agree that it does do the work of undercutting any kind of, like, gains that were made in JT's storyline. It did not seem out of character. I just wish that the episode hadn't ended there. I think it's 
because it's at the end and well degrassi does this thing where within those freeze frames what we're supposed to understand is that there is further growth in those moments like or we understand that there's going to be some sort of further complication and this just seems like no this is just a punchline i mean the show also has a pendulum swing we've had a couple of relatively serious episodes too right and I think the two White Wedding episodes are pretty serious overall. It's about a possible abortion, a possible dissolved couple. The last episode we just discussed is about homophobia and toxic mm-hmm. masculinity. And this one, I think, also is trying to maybe right the ship a little bit. The younger kids, I don't know. It was an odd episode. I do think it could have, it's this glimmer of a JT. I do think. We've talked before, JT gets to be the creep and I think he's gross. And then we have these episodes. We had them a couple episodes ago with the sewing where we see another JT. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, what I thought was interesting was in the sewing episode, the resolution is like the boys are mocking him and he's like, but I get to touch girls' bodies. Here, I thought it was interesting that instead of another, like the resolution is him undercutting their expectation he's going to tell a false story and he tells a story about the guinea pigs giving birth and the boys are disappointed but he's happy because that was more exciting and i was like that's progress yeah, for sure for jt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think obviously what we've seen so far is jt very much trying to fit into this character of who he thinks he's supposed to be and that sort of between him and Miss Hatsalakos becomes sort of the main issue um, when she is telling him he doesn't need to just be the class clown. Like, he's funny, but he can do more than that. He's actually smart and talented in other ways, but he has to make the choice to sort of embrace those other parts rather than just try to fit in with the guys and it's always Sean and Toby yep. who are the, the the ones he has to sort of tell these stories for or lie for or whatever the case may be. I mean, I really didn't like this episode, mostly because I don't know what it is. I have no compassion as a viewer towards JT. And I know that's I'm not a good critic in this moment. But one of the things that I was thinking about with this episode is how... It's yet another example of a female character trying to do the work to help the young man or the young boy. Thinking like, what would it have been like if it was a male teacher? Like, not not Snake, because, but one of the other guys talking to JT and being the person that's like, you have potential. Da da da. Does it have? Does the gender of the teacher have to be? A woman and then also does it have to be an attractive woman for JT to then recognize her humanity so that's one of the things I was thinking about like why does the lesson have to come from Miss Hatsalakis versus another teacher yeah I mean I do think there's a weird buried message here perhaps about women in science but it's like so submerged and I think that perhaps that's part of what's supposed to be happening here when they have that conversation about like he's like it's really dumb and really boyish and really kind of gross when he says you could be a model, but I thought it was an interesting contrast and it doesn't really shame. Like that part I think is interesting. Obviously, yeah, there's so much emotional labor that's happening here. And this is one of those times where Degrassi sort of messes with the lines of teacher and student, right? Because I agree that JT is expecting a lot of labor from her, 
but she's also exceptionally frank in ways that are just at the line and maybe over the line of sharing personal life in a way that any teacher makes me a little uncomfortable. And I mean, she's her choice to do that. It gets complicated. I think what you're saying, Sonnet, there was a moment when JT, the actor, is like without guile when he's with the guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that character was this character. I think we'd all like him a lot more. And I think, I don't know, to that that moment, it felt like the actor was acting more because it was like, oh, there's a layer he's Mm -hmm. taking off. And I don't know if it's a writing issue that he doesn't get to take it off very often. It's interesting that JT is this creeper and he's sort of a separate creeper from the the problem of like the homophobia that Sean pops up to do. JT is very explicitly uh, attractive woman, Hugh Hefner as my role model, little man thing that is very different from the sporty jock culture that they seem to want to put on Sean, sometimes Spinner, sometimes Jimmy. It was an odd episode and yeah. I think also like something, like I was saying, JT has this very sort of narrow view of what he's capable of and you know, these guinea pigs are meant to be punishment, like taking care of them. But then once he starts taking care of them, he gets invested, volunteers to do research, which, yeah, n- not a thing that he would do. Mm-hmm. He's not Emma. He's not Ashley. He's not, like, he's not generally volunteering to do research, but he becomes invested in that, um, which I think allows us to see another part of him because we haven't at all seen him with like family or anything like that. So we're really, we only really only got get him in companionship with his friends and sort of playing off what he thinks their expectations are of him. And there's always this figure of a mother who could take him away. Right. We never get to see like much of, much of his character backstory is explained to us through Toby. Right. And also again, the mother thing. Like, I'm like, he only listens to women, but also treats women like shit. <laughs> if if I remember right, they changed JT's family backstory at some point, but I don't remember when. But it does, in both iterations, he, it does seem like primarily female figures in his guardianship life. So is there anything we need to on the floor about this one still? The funny thing about Jimmy and Spinner thinking they can practice radical honesty (laughs) when they lie to themselves every day. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's, it's, it's weird though. They're packed because it's one thing to promise to be honest with each other, but it's another thing to make each other be honest with other people. Yeah. I didn't understand that that was the pact until later. I was like, this is bizarre. So like Spinner, Spinner goads Jimmy into being honest with Ashley about her story, which is like not what the pack seemed like should have been not about. At all. Also, it's just hilarious that Spinner was so shocked that <laughs> he smelled bad. Like of all characters, I really can't like Spinner. Oh, on, I think Spinner on, being nose blind to himself is totally on brand. <laughs> For sure. He smells everyone else's <laughs> shit, sure. but he can never smell his own shit. Oh, and then he tried yeah. to fix it with <laughs> a water fountain. Yep. 
That was my favorite thing. It's a good segue. Tell us more. Okay, so my favorite thing was when Spinner gets called out for smelling, he runs to the water fountain in the middle of passing period and is cleaning up his armpits with just water. And it was so disgusting and so amazing because there's a bathroom literally right next to the water fountain. With soap. And the girl, two girls passing by in the look of horror on their faces. <laughs> Watching him do this was amazing. It was beautiful. I already said my favorite thing about Ellie's hair. My favorite things are both quotes. One is that Snake is quoting Marshall McLuhan in the media immersion yes. class. The media yes. yes. And I was like, again, <laughs> what, as usual, what is this class? Just like Miss Kwan's class. Miss Kwan's class is like half creative writing, half the classics, but just whatever she feels like that day. Check out your books, whatever book you're reading. Uh, the other thing is when Ashley says, I wouldn't expect a conformist to understand. I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> okay, all right, fine. Also, Jimmy, Jimmy's critique is my other favorite thing because it was a really good critique of her poem. You're trying to sound profound. Her poem, which becomes a story by the end of the, sh- the episode. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, okay. My, uh, my favorite thing, so one was that quote you just mentioned from Ashley. The other one is a quote from Ashley from the first episode where she says, I didn't know my kitchen was upstairs. <laughs> and <laughs> because this is when... Marco very blatantly follows Ellie upstairs after saying he was going to get a drink of water and Ashley offers to get it for him. And he's like, no, I'll get it myself. And then the stairs are literally right there. Like you can't sneak up those stairs after saying you were going to the kitchen. They're silly. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Amazing. Well, I, in terms of predictions, I'm sure that romance coming back and obviously the Marco storyline is going to blow back up at some point or come back. Ashley is on the edges of both of these episodes in ways that make me think that an Ashley-focused story is coming. I think a side note to the second episode is that Ashley and Jimmy sort of have a moment and Spinner is scared they'll get back together. And that suggests that Ashley is going to end up with someone soon. That's what I read that as. Don't forget Crashly, Craig and Ashley. That was a few episodes ago. That could be happening. When Craig went out with Manny, was it Joey that asked him if he thought it yeah. was going to be Ashley or something? And so, like, we haven't seen a lot of obvious stuff with them, but at least an implication that there's something there. Less a prediction and more a hope that more gay and loving it rather than just, like, gay and hating it, please. Or gay and figuring it out. I just, I just want, I just want to, I just want a gay and loving it situation to happen and also this is not a prediction but we didn't really mention this but on that note maybe not the next gay episode named by a song by a gay artist <laughs> like yeah it's called perilous whisper you know good and well they are unsubtle with these titles okay but come on well, now. i don't <laughs> come on now I don't know what you're expecting. I mean, but I'm just saying George Michael's (laughs) reputation at the moment that this episode comes out, like, come on now. Come on. I didn't mean it. True. Well, there are a lot of gay things on the horizon. And one of those gay things that is no spoiler, someday we get to meet Paige's gay brother, who is very attractive. Well, whatever (laughs) it takes. I know I can make it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Thanks so much for listening today. You can find us on Twitter at That Bleeping Pod. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at That Bleeping Podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast episodes. And please rate and review us so other fellow Degrassi stands can find us. And please share our episodes and be sure to tag us. Shout out to Chris Robley for the use of his song Anonymous as our theme music. You can learn more about Chris and his fabulous music at chrisrobley.com. And that's Chris, R-O-B-L-E-Y.com. And be sure to follow him on socials at Chris Robley. These episodes are written, edited, and produced by your hosts, Tiffany Salter, Jacinta Yanders, Brendan Shaw, and me, Sonic Gabbard. Thanks again, and we'll see y'all in a few weeks. Bye!